Ja, man. We are back on the lift, man. We will know in 11 months if today's guest gets to compete in the Olympic Games in the giant slalom. NBC Sports has recently featured him. Powder Magazine has done a story on him. He's got an amazing skiing history that doesn't go back all that far. He's a remarkable individual. And to top it all off, he's living the dream in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. So buckle up, folks. I guess you don't buckle up on a chair. Put that bar down and get ready because this is going to be a fun ride. Live from Greenwater Studios, this is On The Lift Podcast, your weekly show that is ultimately about skiing. This is the show that ducks the rope, earns some turns, dances in ski boots, poaches hot tubs, closes the bar, and still makes it on the first chair. Here's your hosts, two dudes who rip the pow, shred the gnar, and tell the tales, Lance Hester and Michael Gore. All right, feel the rhythm, feel the rhyme, get on up. It's on the lift time. So Lance, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Mike. You never disappoint. No, I, I try. So uh, I'm going to have you introduce our guest today, which we're very excited about. You betcha. I met this gentleman a week or two ago. His name is Benjamin Alexander. Benjamin got a hold of us after we had Jonathan Boblett on talking about his 90,000 vertical feet at Beaver Creek. And Benjamin wasn't calling to say, oh, yeah, yeah. He was calling to talk about <laughs> He was calling to talk about a different resort. And we got to chat. And then I learned some more stuff about what he's presently going on, uh, has going on in his, uh, his ski life. So, Benjamin Alexander, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, guys. Yeah, well, thank you for being here. Now, probably, um, I don't know, three to five days before you and I had a quick phone call, um you were on uh i think it was was it nbc sports yes yeah nbc and the olympic channel well i can't wait to get to that so that'll like keep people listening who might have tried to tune out <laughs> no um i would like to hear a little bit about who you are and what you do and and uh, then we're going to come back to to the nbc sports yeah great so again thank you for having me and i want to start off by saying i don't want to take anything away from jonathan's achievement i think that every mountain should have one crazy person that wants to go out there and just smash the record and i reached out <laughs> because i was that crazy person for the mountain called revelstoke up in Br british columbia where i skied from bell to bell i needed to pee into a bottle three times on the chairlift i didn't even want to stop to do that and hit 103,000, and plan to do something similar here at jackson hole but what, who am I and what am I doing? Uh, I am working on becoming Jamaica's first alpine ski racer to represent the country at the next Olympic Games in 2022. Uh, what makes this even more interesting is the fact that I just started skiing five years ago, just started racing one year ago. Um, and I'm, I'm doing this, I'm approaching the world of skiing after a successful career of being an international DJ, performing in over 30 countries around the world. So I hope that's a, a concise enough, spi spicy enough intro for the listeners. I love it. That's, that is concise. And man, I'm sure we could go on for hours. That's a, uh, a primer to a rich history, a rich life history. Well, gosh, where do we even start, Mike? 
Well, so uh, a couple questions, Benji. I mean, I really impressive that you've like picked up skiing and then have had the ambition to represent Jamaica in the Olympics in a very short amount of time. Um, so I, I would assume like you kind of took to skiing. It, it was just natural for you. Like it, it just kind of duck to water kind of thing or what was yeah, that like I, putting on skis for the first time? I, I put, I've put a lot of time into it. Let's mm -hmm. say that. And I was just enamored with the experience of just having gravity like propel me and just pull me down slopes at 60, yeah. 70 miles an hour. And I just became addicted very, very quickly. My first exposure to skiing was, was heli skiing. I was on a heli ski trip. I was DJing at a heli ski trip and I got to see people just click on their skis on the top of a mountain and just disappear um, off into the horizon. And immediately I, I decided that I wanted this to be a big part of my life. And I just tend to have a bit of an addictive personality when it comes to things that I'm uh, into. Okay, that's, now, uh, now, that's now, a heck of a way to start off. Now, start, <laughs> stop awesome. right there. I want to hear about you. You were <laughs> DJing for yeah. a hella ski trip. Okay, now, now that's got me. But then you saw people clicking in at the top of the mountain. Am I to assume you were DJing at the top of a mountain? No, so what had happened okay, is... Okay. That's yeah. an ultra luxury trip <laughs> when you have been. an international DJ <laughs> yeah. on the ones no, and so twos. I was DJing at, at uh, the Heady Ski Lodge that's not too far from Revelstoke. Uh, Micah is the name of it. And I was oh, invited up. I was invited up over a Christmas period to be one of the quote unquote house cats. So we flew in the subwoofers and the speakers and the DJ equipment because you can only get there by helicopter. And Tom, who's the guy who organized the trip, who got me into skiing, um, had arranged for all of the house cats to join all of the skiers on top of the hill for lunch. And, you know, oh, it's wow. just sandwiches and bone broth, whatever. But growing up in England, I'd never experienced that type of terrain, never experienced that depth of snow. And to see my friends just kind of click on their skis and disappear. Yeah. Um, I was completely blown away by that, by that so visual experience and wanted to be a part of it. So fast forward to uh, two months after that, I was uh, down in Brazil. I got flown to Whistler to DJ at a swingers party uh, and in the, midst, in the midst of all of that madness, I managed to get out and have a couple of lessons. And long story short, my ninth day of skiing ever was back at Micah Heli Lodge. And it was heli skiing for my ninth day on, on skis. So you you have like bypassed most of the uh, the typical progression into the sport of skiing and like keyed into some sort of like Illuminati eyes wide shut <laughs> world where people fly in uh, DJs to, to, to heli ski. That's, that's amazing. Um, I, I'm super curious about so many things and I'm just going to yeah. remind uh, Mike not to ask the wrong questions. Cause this is kind of a rated G podcast. <laughs> we don't want to lose our space on Apple, on Apple podcast. <laughs> but, I, I, will take, I will take that under advisement. So, okay, let's, let's, um, I mean, we need to unpack all of that in another episode, but moving it forward to how you um, became inspired to, to represent, you know, your, your home country, Jamaica um, on, on the downhill team. So what, what event, like, I, and I, I know I'm skipping over a lot here, but like, yeah. what, what is probably the most, I guess I'll use the term entry level <laughs> Olympic event <laughs> that you, yeah. is it slalom, is it super G downhill <laughs> moguls. I'm, I'm guessing that, not aerials. What, what, yeah, what which no, event are you training for? Definitely not aerials or anything involved <laughs> having the skis off the ground for more yeah. than like half of a millisecond or something like that. Um, so in the spirit of the Olympics, they want as many nationalities to be represented in as many disciplines as possible. And so what the IOC do is they set a, a minimum threshold of professional uh, ability, um, which 
every country has the ability to put forth one guy and one female athlete to represent the country as long as they hit that threshold. Okay. So in the tech disciplines of slalom and giant slalom, that is 165th points. Um, for the listeners that are not familiar with how the scoring system works in ski racing, that would be um, a 15-year-old kid that has been skiing since two and racing since five or six. He would be at that level, shall we say. For okay. the faster disciplines, the speed disciplines, uh, it's an order of magnitude harder. You need to be 85th points and also ranked 500 in the world. So I'm working towards giant slalom. Okay. Giant slalom. So, so where that is a really good, solid lesson. I've always wondered, you know, from the time of whatever, Eddie the Eagle in, you know, yeah. the 80s up through the Jamaican bobsled team um and, you know and, and there's there's a lot of attention on the um elite performers and the gold silver bronze you know um but i've always wondered whether there was some sort of threshold and uh that that was a really great explanation um so so when you embarked upon this did you um you've been racing five years so has it been your goal since clearing that first year of skiing and having your ninth day at Micah hella skiing and so forth, or how long has this been your, your aspiration? So I've been racing for one year. Um, I've been skiing for five. Um, what's interesting. Oh, okay. is, yeah. What's interesting is in 2018, I got the opportunity to go to the Olympics as a spectator. And I was a little bit taken aback by the fact that there were only three Jamaican athletes. Um, we're all familiar with the movie Cool Runnings, as per the intro here. Um, as a kid growing up in England, uh, born in 83, the movie came out in 93. As a 10-year-old kid, half Jamaican kid in England, that movie was everything. That movie made me cool. That movie made like my association with Jamaica so cool. And I thought, I would have thought that more Jamaican people would have taken that as kind of like yeah. a... Uh, you know, a blaze in the path to sure. kind of like get into winter sports and, and seeing that there were only three athletes there when I was spectating in Korea, kind of like an idea, a light bulb went off in my head. Now, bear in mind at that time, I'd only skied 15 days in my entire life, just kind of goes to show how like crazy I might be in terms of setting <laughs> up these, these objectives in front of me. Um, 2018, spent a week of skiing in Canada, then went to the Olympics, then did a week in, um, in, in Japan in the Seco, and then did a couple of weeks in Patagonia, both on Chile and the Argentinian side, and just really turned on the ski kind of, the ski bug. Wow. Well, um, how many, okay, so you've been skiing five years. I'm trying to do the math here. Um, you have had to concentrate um, in five years probably the same amount of ski days as most Olympians would have had in, um, gosh, I don't know, their first 15 years. Right. I, I'm, I'm assuming. I mean, you gotta, you, you gotta, you gotta learn the sport. I don't care how good an athlete you are. You gotta learn how to yeah. control your edges. You gotta get comfortable with speed. You gotta get all the equipment dialed in and the tuning. And I mean, my gosh, there's just so much ground or snow to cover. Um, oh. So, so what's your, what, what's that look like for you? I mean, has it been a progression of going to, you know, goodwill and buying a crummy pair of skis and learn how to do it? Or have you been like into this, like from a tech standpoint and from a training standpoint from the get go? So in 2019, um, after having retired from being a DJ, I retired at the end of 2018. I decided to spend a whole month in Revelstoke 
Uh, a friend of mine runs an event called Send It. It's 200 tech entrepreneurs that get together to ski, get drunk, and, and listen to a kind of like really in inspiring talks and whatnot. Um, and friends of mine decided that we would take a house and stay there for a month instead of just do the five days of the event. I went into that month thinking if I can survive a month of skiing, because at this moment I'd love to ski fast. I had no technique. I was an accident waiting to happen. If I could survive this month of skiing, then I would see whether this Olympic dream had any legs to it. On the fifth day of skiing, I had the opportunity to ski with former national level skier, Gordon Gray. And I told him about my crazy idea. And after, after a half a day of skiing together, together, Gordon just said to me, all right, okay, I'm gonna be very blunt with you. Um, your technique, absolutely terrible. Your technique sucks, but that's to be expected. You've skied maybe 25 days by, you know, in your life and you've had two skiing lessons. Of course, your technique sucks. You don't learn these things by osmosis. He said, but what I struggle to comprehend, what I cannot figure out is how the hell you're keeping up with me. I've skied since I was two. I, I raced at, at national level and somehow you're keeping up with me. You're absolutely fearless. And to be honest, have, being fearless is more than half of the battle won. We can teach you the technique. And so to answer your question about playing catch up in that four week period that ex then extended to six weeks, I skied 37 days. I skied 1.7 million vertical feet in those 37 mm -hmm. days. Now, a lot of people don't keep track of these, but if anyone uses ski tracks or if anyone uses any of those apps out like uh, out there, like Trace Snow, you'll see that a typical leisure day of skiing might be 10 or 15,000 feet. Then you'll go for a lot, you know, and so I estimate that I did about a decade's worth of skiing in those 37 <laughs> days. It was the driest February on record uh, at Revelstoke, which is known for its powder. It's on the powder mm -hmm. highway. So I just had access to amazing groomers. The, it was so cold that people didn't show up. It was ski on to the lift chair, uh, to the yeah. chairlift every time. And in continuation for that, I moved to Jackson Hole at the end of 2019 and skied 183 days that season without going down to the Southern Hemisphere. Half of those were in the backcountry because, of course, we lost a big chunk of our season. So I've really like focused and been gung-ho at playing catch-up. I've skied 81 days at Jackson Hole this season. I'm top of the leaderboard here with almost 2 million vertical feet. I've skied you know, a half a dozen other mountains as well. So I've probably, I'm probably 95 days into the ski season. Wow. So, so Mr. Gray, Gordon Gray tells you, you know, you you know, you're, you're fast. And that intrigues me. You, you know, you look like what we have called and in, in our corporate name is a runaway dumpster. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so what yeah, happened exactly. to fix Fearless that part? And you just let inertia take over, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what happened? How, how have you, um, how have your skills developed? Has it been lessons in coaching or, or what's been going on there? Yeah, a couple of things. So I've definitely slowed down. I'm focusing on the art of the turn now a lot more. Um, I have a coach here in Jackson Hall. I'm part of the master's program. I've been getting to a bunch of FIS races. I also have this really cool gadget called Carve, C-A-R-V. There's no E on the end of it. And it's an mm -hmm. insert that goes into your boot that has 72 pressure sensors on each foot and a gyroscope. And as you go down the hill, she's reading out you know, at maximum edge angle or giving you pointers. And I use that every day. So I've just been spending a lot more time this season and towards the end of last season, focusing on technique, as opposed to just seeing how fast I can get to the bottom of the chair. Still love to go fast, but there's been a lot more concentration on like doing things properly. Yeah. That, that's interesting, Benji. I've, I've seen that carve app and, and system in my Instagram feed. And yeah, so it's, it's interesting to hear about like a real world application for that. And yeah. kind of a follow-up question to that. If so, for those of our listeners that are maybe at that intermediate level where they're starting to feel like that 
runaway dumpster that we <laughs> described where you've got where where you've got the confidence to go fast but then translating it into technique what were one or two things that 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 you kind of picked up that um you know kind of allowed you to progress the most i mean is it you know I mean, leaning forward is a classic, but is there any yes. other one or two things that, that you constantly kind of think to yourself or, or, or really impacted your, your technique? Yeah. So leaning forward, uh, one of my friends is like a free mountain skier, Lexi DuPont sponsored skier by K2. And she used to race as well. Um, I believe her uncle said, um, you know, you want to, you want to feel like you're making orange juice as if there's a, an orange yeah. between the front of your boot and your shin, and you're just crushing that orange on every turn. Oh, and you really, Beautiful. really need to have the weight forward. And there's one of my favorite drills of all time is just the J turn. So let's try to describe this for the people that are just listening. What you want to do is you go down the hill, get a little bit of speed and just push as hard as you can into the shin of one of your uh, boots. That's going to become the downhill ski okay. and just wait. Don't, don't kick out the skis, just allow the ski to turn and make, you know, almost like a J shape. And you want to end the turn almost facing back up to the hill. Uh, you know, where you've come down from. And when you have that sensation of what the ski will do when it will turn for you, as opposed to skidding the turn out, mm -hmm. that's such a magical feeling. And it's this elusive feeling of the carve that you can get quite easily in a drill, but then you have to go out there and try to do this turn after turn after turn. And, and that then becomes this uh, addicting thing that you're mm -hmm. the pursuit of perfecting the carve as it were, or the turn. Yeah. Hmm. Not, not to take anything away from your accomplishment at all, but I think you're blessed to be in this era of shape skis oh, to yeah. be able to just, you know, focus on putting that pressure on the tongue of the boot, letting the skis do the work. And then that, like you said, it's magical once you yeah. get that feeling. Yeah. And it used to take years to get to that point when we had mm -hmm. straight skis. Well, and if you day. think about it, like all, all turns, all skiing is a variation of that J turn that he so eloquently just told us about. Yeah. I mean, you know, whether it's powder, you back off on the finish of the J, you know, if it's yeah. uh, skiing crud, sort of same thing. Um, keeping those shoulders headed where you need to go and uh, uh, making generally the J turn on every turn is, is going to get you down there. That's, that's a yeah. really great explanation. I like the orange too. The, the, wealth, the one thing I will say to people that might be in that intermediate level or that are very, that are self-taught, try as hard as possible to find other good skiers and emulate them and watch what they're mm -hmm. doing. And, you know, be very forward with asking them for help and technique. I'm now in that period of undoing a lot of the bad mm -hmm. habits that I've like enforced mm -hmm. into my skiing genes. Um, and had I had had the ability to have more lessons or the finances to throw at, at the cost of lessons earlier, I'd, I'd have a much easier time with kind of figuring out the racing side of things. So technique's important. I think it's really, it's really fun to just send that, send it down the hill, as you said, the runaway dumpster. But once you learn the technique and, and are able to control that speed, that's yeah. a really magical thing. Yeah. And, and having the humility to say, Hey, give me some tips, you know, ask totally. for that hey. feedback. Skiers love to talk about skiing. So there's no, <laughs> you know, I mean, but we don't, like to ask, we don't always like to ask <laughs> yeah. for help. I, I, I would, I, I can't imagine myself asking someone for tips. So, you know, well, you have nothing left to ask. You've already well, accomplished it all. You've that's arrived. True. That's true. Well, you know, we have a lot more to talk about, but I want to also give, before we forget, before we get too far into this, Benji, can you tell um, some of our listeners where they can find you, you know, in social media and that sort of thing as, as the, cause they maybe want to, you know, follow you and follow your pursuit of the Olympic dream. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for asking. Uh, so Benji, B E N J I dot ski. If you just pump that into your browser, it'll take you to my website. 
And if you also put that into Instagram, it will take you straight to me. And I put, I try to put up fun videos every day. I'm doing it right now. Awesome. Very cool. And, um, so, so you're, you said you have a coach at, at Jackson hole. And, um, I know when we were trying to schedule this, this, um, this interview, this recorded interview, uh, you were both on your way and then on your way back, uh, to park city. I think you said, what's the travel been like in this ski world of yours in this racing world of yours? You know, I, I thought it would be similar to DJ life where every third day I'd be on a plane or, or in a car and getting to another destination to perform. But obviously because of COVID, uh, lots of races have been yanked from the schedule. Uh, lots of races are only accepting local races. So I've only had two races thus far this season uh, because of COVID. Uh, one was, um, both of them were in a four, within a four hour drive of here. So Big Sky, Montana and Park City just a couple of days ago. How'd you do? Um, I'm at the back of the pack. There's a lot of work to, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot to be learned. Um, but all of the people that I'm competing against are, are well above that 160 or below, should I say, that 160 points threshold. So I'm not competing with them. I'm competing against the kind of like the fifth standard. Um, I had the most fun ever at Park City this week. It was the same run that was used for the 2002 Olympic giant slalom uh, event. Uh, four of the races were in the top 100 in the world. And if you've ever been close to anyone that's racing or even just, you can tell someone on the hill if they're a former racer, they just move their legs mm-hmm. and their, their hips and their ankles in a completely different way to anyone else. So to, to watch four of the world's top 100 was incredible. And I found out that I absolutely love the steep stuff and I absolutely love the rock hard surfaces, which is what racing is all about. And, uh, and I had a great time with it, really did. The beautiful thing about my pursuit is there's no one else that looks like me. Um, I'm 15 years older than anyone else out there. <laughs> and they are all just like so enamored with the story and they all are cheering me at the start. And as I'm going down, it's, a, you know, there's, there's such a warm reception from everyone and the parents and, and everyone involved, the race organizers. And so it, every event turns into a party once they get to know me. It's, it's been really good, I must admit. That's what's uh, what's the reception been like in back in Jamaica? Are people are you on the radar there? Like, have um, have you? I I've read some other interviews that you did, and and uh, like you actually got some contact with some of the cast from the movie and and yeah. all that. Talk, talk to us a little bit about that piece of it. Is yeah. So the reception. Uh, I'll answer the reception side of it first. So the biggest export from Jamaica is obviously Bob Marley, right? Mm. The second legal biggest export from Jamaica is obviously the Olympics. Jamaica is such a powerhouse in the Olympics, but predominantly the the summer games, right? Usain Bolt and and all of the other track and field superstars that that, that have been born of the country. Um, I believe there was one year in the Olympics where of the 10 finalists in the 100 meter sprint, there were three Jamaicans, but four or five of the other uh, remaining seven were of Jamaican descent, even though they were racing for England or America or Canada. So <laughs> really? Jamaica, yeah, yeah. So we'll have to look that up. Jamaica somehow is such a powerhouse in track and field. So right. the second thing that Jamaicans are most pow- proud about is the Olympics. So getting to go down there, I, you know, I was on breakfast TV a couple of times. I was in the local newspaper. People were recognizing me and having any association with anything Olympic. Jamaicans are so proud of that. So again, a super duper warm reception. Now the cool runnings thing. Yeah, I have uh, some interactions with uh, one of the members of the cast, Malik Yoba, who played the bold, angry guy. 
um, Yul Brenner. Yul Brenner, yeah. <laughs> uh, he, he's friends of some friends of mine in New York. And then the pilot from the 1988 bobsled team, Dudley Stokes, is actually a mentor of mine. We speak, we speak every week. He gives me oh, advice wow. on sports psychology and kind of navigating things back in Jamaica. And he's such a, such a sweetheart, such a great guy. And really, awesome. this thing wouldn't be a thing if it wasn't for his exploits and his crazy idea and all of the things that were, yeah. I think, yesterday was the 33-year anniversary from their first run. Well, that's awesome so and good to hear that kind of validates the movie and and i mean i was you know a young kid too when that movie came out and it's good to know that that's uh you know a, a, i mean we knew it was a true story but uh, yeah. but to have the pilot of the bobsled then go on to mentor you know someone trying to be on the downhill team, that's, that's awesome very very cool all right so you gotta have 156 fisk point as sort of the 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 i don't know cutoff i guess um, we're used to hearing about Olympic trials and that sort of stuff. Will there just sort of magically come a day where you learn that you've qualified based on those points or do you have, is there more to it than that? Yeah. So there are two things. First of all, I need to have the support of my national Olympic committee, uh, which I do. I feel like my timing has been perfect because the president of the national Olympic committee just became president two years ago. And he's made it very clear that he he's, his legacy will be to leave the Jamaican Olympic Association after having made Jamaica famous for more than just track and fields. There's a lot of attention he's giving towards me and a lot of help that I'm getting from them. So I have the support of the NOC and from uh, the Minister for Sports and Culture. Secondly, um, I can score these points at any FIS, the Federation Internationale de Ski race. Um, and so once I get my, my handicap down below that level, I am qualified. There's no kind of like qualification uh, events that I need to go to. There are no kind of like, you know, sudden death shootouts or anything like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just need to get my handicap below that 160 threshold by the 16th of January next year. So I'm uh, just under 11 months out right now. So did you ski all summer? I did not because of COVID. So the plan was to head down to Chile or to New Zealand. Uh, Chile, I believe, did not spin a single chair last season, despite having one of their best uh, snow years in a decade. Yeah. And the border of New Zealand was tighter than a duck's right. bottom in England. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right. And so I, I spent three months in Jamaica. Okay. So how was that? You were, you were in Jamaica. And um, were you was part of it meeting some of the people on the Jamaican Olympic Association and that sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. The, the primary reason to go down there was to meet with the Jamaican Olympic Association, meet with the Minister for Sports and Culture. And from a personal point of view, I was really keen to meet as many of the uh, superstar Olympians that we have as possible. COVID again kind of messed up that plan. And so I didn't get the opportunity to interact as freely as I would have liked with as many people. Um, they're taking it very seriously down there. The entire time I was down there, it's an 8 p.m. national curfew. That means off the streets, back in your house by 8 p.m. That's still in place and has been since last March. Um, and so people were just not so willing to casually meet with people as as they would have been in normal times. Jamaican people are very warm and receptive. Um, during COVID, everyone has like a different risk tolerance and threshold to how many strangers they want to meet, especially people coming in with a weird accent. You picked a good time to get out of the DJ business. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh, perfect timing. <laughs> totally. That is a good point. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like some of the reports I hear from Hawaii and so forth. There are some places that really have no choice, but to be really careful. I mean, I, I can't imagine how 
you know, few, um, it wouldn't take much to have a just unbearable outbreak on some of these island nations or island communities. And, and, you know, they've got, yeah, that's, that's just, just uh, tough calls on the, the government's behalf, but hopefully it's helping them out. Well, the complexity is not having the hospital infrastructure, right? If a, if a massive outbreak takes yeah. hold and especially during the earlier part of it, when they weren't sure how to really treat it, um, the number of ICU beds on that Island is probably very, very low. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I'm curious how you chose Jackson as your, as your, you know, hitching post for skiing this year. You catch yeah, that kind question. of hitching post, Jackson, Wild West, you know? <laughs> yeah, good question. Um, the same guy who got me into skiing um, when I was choosing which mountain to go to in 2019, Tom is his name, was like, dude, my house is empty most of the time in Jackson. Jackson is a great mountain. Just have at it. And Jackson is a fantastic mountain. It's not one of the best for race pedigree and training. So I do all of my training on Snoking, which is the little bump in the town, which is a fantastic training hill. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful for being out here. We got 200, not to make people jealous, but we got 200 inches of snow in February. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. Jeez, but, but that just adds to the story, right? I mean, not only are you, you know, representing Jamaica, but you're also a racer coming from Jackson, which Jackson. is <laughs> yeah. probably more remarkable, right? Yeah. <laughs> Do you, so I'm assuming all you did in, not all you did, I'm sure it was busy, um, that your trip to Park City was limited to racing. Do you ever get out of the racing groove and go find powder and go find deep stuff? We've had a few, you know, friends and so forth on this show talking about Alta and Snowbird and Powder Mountain and, you know, all the various places down in Utah. And, you know, I mean, I'm a huge fan of where you're living, Jackson Hole. And, and uh, most, most communities are lucky to have something like Snow King. And that's just, you know, a very small part of the whole Jackson Hole thing. Um, what's your, what's your, uh, what's the rest of your skiing like? Do you, do you get out and enjoy that sort of thing? I absolutely love the powder days. I tend to find that something happens. It's almost like a bull seeing red when there's a powder day. I tend to <laughs> injure myself, probably going way too fast, way above my abilities. And like with any of these sports, it's like time on mountain, time on mountain, time on mountain, like kind of dictates how good you can be. Um, you can get a good groomer anywhere in the world, but getting a good powder day, I mean, all of us on this call, our, our ratio of great powder days to the rest of our skiing career is probably like 20 to one or something, maybe mm -hmm. even worse. And so, right. When you get out there on a powder day, it's almost like you've got to relearn again how to kind of navigate the, the, the differences in moving your skis through 20 inches that just fell down in the last 24 hours. Mm -hmm. But I absolutely love it. Um, I will admit it's a tiny bit of a distraction. I should be out there every day on the hard pack and just on my race skis and not on my, you know, 120 underfoot powder skis. But you got to do things that are good for the soul as well, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely uh ski tuning all, all that stuff do you handle that yourself do you have a shop you work with what's uh, what's kind of your regimen there yeah so shout out to gov carrington Bodie miller's ex-ski tech he runs a shop in uh, the teton village called mudroom um and they handle all of my ski tuning okay yeah yeah that's uh key part of it for sure well or i'm just you, curious you is kind that of geek a, out on that know. stuff or is that is that something that has become interesting to you at, in this journey or or do you prefer to just let the the techs handle it or you know i i'm a i'm a very technical guy mm -hmm. I, I studied electrical engineering at university i love to get into the nuts and bolts of things i don't know what it is but something hasn't kind of captured my yeah. attention 
if I can right. drop the skis off one night and grab them the next day and they're yeah. perfect, it's yeah. kind of easier than learning a whole new trade. And Versus the way getting that I look the microscope at it, out, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the way that I look at it is if the Olympics were six years away or five years away, shall we say, um, then it would be something that I would pull into, pull into my arsenal of skills and get really good at it. This is now a sprint to mm -hmm. the Olympic qualification in 11 months. I want to focus all of my efforts on the things that I can get really good at or need to be really good at. And I'm hoping that by virtue of people like Garvin and whatnot, I can get my skis tuned for me right now, um, as opposed to having to put multiple hours per day into that, right. uh, into that side of it. Yeah, but at least, you know, are you getting to the point where you can tell if it's a good tune or, or if your skis need to be tuned or, I mean, are there um, minute differences? Yeah, I can up? kind of tell with the edges uh, just okay. by, by, by touch. But what I do on top of that is I keep a ski journal. So I know how many thousand vertical feet have gone onto each ski since the last tune. And now that we've got so much good coverage, I'm not really dinging rocks on my race skis anymore. Yeah. So it's like when I hit a certain threshold, then I know the skis need to go in for a tune. I'm just curious, like how frequently is that? Um, I get them done every single race. Um, and then if they hit like, you know, 50,000 vertical feet without a tune, then I, I tend to throw them in again. So that's like at 1 p.m. for you? <laughs> uh, that was, yeah, that was about 2 p.m. today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So, so like every other day you're getting a, you're getting a tune. It sounds like every third day, maybe. Well, today I was on, so I, I just got gifted a pair of the K2 Mindbenders. It's more of like an all-round mountain ski. Uh, in the morning. Ski. That's my next hey, man, one, That's what I got. So, <laughs> you got the Mindbenders, Lance? Yeah. Wow. Nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's such a great ski. So I was on the race ski for the first three hours of the morning, and then I flipped over to the K2. And so if I'm going to be training on that ski on hard pack mm -hmm. ice, then, again, that, that's time to get it uh, tuned. But if we're on, like, the softer snow, like we've been having through February – it's not so urgent, obviously. Right, right. Cool. Well, um, how about taking care of um, just the logistics and the expenses and all that sort of stuff? Have you been able to capture the attention of sponsors? Yeah. So um, Steo is a Jackson Hole local brand. Great stuff. Great stuff. Excellent yeah. stuff. Uh, Steo is my main sponsor. So shout out to those guys. They have been awesome. Um, and you know, after that NBC segment and picking up sponsors left, right, and center, people are sending me equipment, Lecky, who are the number one mm -hmm. brand for ski poles and, and gloves. Just, uh, we just got, I just got in contact with them a couple of days ago. They just became my newest sponsor. Shout out to Sven Brunson, who's an absolute legend. Uh, I had a great conversation with him and I'm looking forward to doing more things with them. And I think, you know, there's, there's two elements to my story, which makes the sponsors interested. First of all, obviously, with the civil rights movement that happened last year, the fact that I'm representing Jamaica, the fact that I'm half black, the fact that diversity is, is sorely missing in winter sports, and mm -hmm. people are trying to do everything possible to try and change that. So I, I get a lot of attention for that. But actually, I think my story is much bigger than that. The guy that didn't start skiing until 32 and trying to get to the Olympics six years later should prove that for a big chunk of our country here and in, in Europe as well, people that might have missed skiing as a kid or at college and now they're in their 30s or 40s and feel like they've missed the boat well that's not the, that's not the case and i'm hoping yeah. to prove that that's wrong and so sponsors are really interested in that story because if if they can accurately or sorry you know uh, carefully portray that sport story sure. they're opening up a huge addressable market segment so yeah yeah absolutely. That's, that's interesting it's yeah inspirational on all levels very cool any other sponsors you want to give a free shout out here 
Any other sponsors? Um, Shred Optics have been awesome as well. Ted Ligeti's company. Those Ted just retired. If Ted listens, I'd love to come and ski with you. I'll, I'll be in Park City again this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, and honestly, my buddy Tom has been my biggest guardian angel in terms of sponsor. I'm, I'm staying at his house here in Jackson for free. He's the guy that got me into it. Um, he's probably going to pull me up to Alaska for a heli ski trip later this month. Like he's just been such a superstar. So Tom's been, uh, nice. been my guardian angel in the sport. That sounds like the perfect sponsor right there. Yeah. yeah. Well, tell Tom if you, if you need a couple of guys to carry skis or you know <laughs> anything, we're we're in. We're flexible. We know how to tune them too. Yeah. <laughs> Bring vice. <laughs> yeah. As in a vice for the skis. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, so um, this has just been a, a great interview. It's really, you know, good times getting to know you. What can we expect to hear from your uh, for your ski racing journey for the rest of the season? Are there very many races lined up and where are they and where, where can we look for you? Yeah, I, I'm still on the fence as to whether I'll go to Colorado on the 9th. I will definitely be in Sugarloaf in Maine on the 16th, 17th, then Lutzen on the 27th, uh, potentially either Stratton, Vermont or New Hampshire on the 29th, 30th, uh, back to Colorado on the 1st, and then Squaw Valley on the 8th and the 9th, just to kind of reel them off really fast there. Uh, I hope to move across to Mammoth at some point late March to keep training all the way through until I leave the country in May and then make it either to Chile or New Zealand just to keep skiing, just to keep uh, coaching going for these 11 months that I have. Wow. That's, that's exciting. It would be great to catch up with you uh, this summer when you're, when yeah. you're, you know, in South America it would it'd be really interesting to hear what yeah, that seems like for sure. We, yeah. we got, we got some friends in uh, some new friends in Squaw Valley who might want to chase you around. Maybe you heard, heard that one, the first chair boys and the first chair girls. So uh, I haven't watched it yet, but I, I haven't listened to it yet, but I did see it in the podcast. Before. Yeah. Yeah. They're based out of Truckee. Just we'll uh, tell them you're coming. Good natured folks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're fun. Um, well, great, Mike, I am kind of running out of stuff to ask. And in part, because, um, I have some family responsibilities here. I need to get I, I, off I to. do too. The pizza has just arrived upstairs, but, uh, Benji, this has been like, thanks for reaching out to us. And this is like a dream come true for us to get interesting guests like you just naturally kind of organically through the show being out there. So yeah. not sure how you found us. Glad you did yes. and, uh, appreciate you reaching out and, um, I also appreciate uh, that, that, that you had some deference to uh, to Jonathan Boblet's accomplishment of uh, 100,000 vertical. But, He's a cool uh, dude, yeah. Great, well, great to hear that, that there's, there's guys out there point, crushing I, the I'd vertical. I'd just like to say one thing. So at some point before the end of the season, I will go out and break the record here at Jackson, which is currently at 110,000. I have calculated with a spreadsheet that the theoretical maximum is 123,235. <laughs> okay. And if there's anyone listening that's in Jackson and would like to share a couple of those chairs with me or maybe jump yep. in for 10K here or there, like I would love some company. I will be maniacally riding the Teton chair and the camera run that's full line right beside it. And if all things go well, there'll be 70 runs on that chair on top of the three <laughs> chairs that I'll have to use to access it. So Okay, Keep so this is—is is this an on the lift podcast exclusive? I have, think have it you, is. I, 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 I'm going to put the press release out that on on the lift <laughs> podcast on uh, February 28th. Uh, so you you called your shot. So the the record is 110, 
and you're saying yeah. one ten, and you're saying the theoretical maximum is one twenty three somewhere. If there? The, yeah, if the stars aligned and you speed okay. onto every chair, it would be one twenty three. Uh, the chair itself takes four minutes and twenty seconds at seventeen hundred eight vertical feet. Uh, okay. I can get down the run in eighty seconds, so we're doing six minutes and fifteen laps. Wow. Um, <laughs> we'll probably do like one sixteen or one seventeen, and yeah. I'll, you guys will be the first to know about it. And hopefully, you'll tell Jonathan. <laughs> and hopefully, well, this will get this this will get Jackson on the map, you know, an event like this. <laughs> Finally, versus that kings and queens of Corbett's, you know, yeah. what what's that? You know, come <laughs> on, anyone anyone can jump off a wall. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we should try and talk Jonathan into going up and joining Benji. I mean. Poor guy. He sent us a video. He returned to um, to Austin just in time for the miserable weather that hit Texas. Oh, no. <laughs> Shut the power grid down and all that. And he uh, was skiing down a street that. <laughs> oh man, I hope him. I hope he's okay. I hope everyone in his family is okay. I that was pretty miserable. Pleasure sharing the chair with you guys. All right. Thanks, buddy. Visit us at ontheliftpodcast.com, where you can listen to back episodes of the podcast. You'll also find show notes, feedback box, and our call-in number.